Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So there's lots. There are lots of polls, lots of we're going to get in the weeds in the polls. We're also going to say goodbye to Cameron, who was our fantastic GBA intern who is in the studio with us and helped put together the scripts. So next week... If we it's ha- all you, Ryan. <laughs> Next week, it's all you, Ryan. Ryan. If you're listening, <laughs> the weight of the world is upon your shoulders. Or we'll just truly make or it it's up. It's going to be Margie and me back to our own devices. Maybe be a little bit like more qualitative and a little less quantitative. <laughs> we roped everybody else into helping us. Yeah. Uh, I have a quick uh, Kristen hypocrisy retraction sure. update. So another controversial position I've taken on the show is on the sport of baseball, Mm. where I have consistently said that I find baseball to be a little bit boring. If I'm ranking the sports. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty mainstream position. soccer and golf come above baseball for me. Um, And this is a thing that is going to get me in trouble one day. So every year for the last couple of years on September 11th, I go back and I rewatch a 3430 documentary. I say documentary, it's a short, it's like 20 minutes, called First Pitch. And it's about the first pitch that President Bush threw out at, I think it was game three of the Yankees versus Diamondbacks World Series in 2001. And it's great because it has interviews from like Billy Crystal, Derek Jeter, George Tenet, Laura Bush, like it's George Mm. W. Bush. And they talk about the security and how, you know, they didn't like Secret Service really would have rather he didn't throw out that first pitch and they thought there was going to be an attack. Right, right. I remember that. And he didn't want to bounce the pitch. Like Derek Jeter told him, like, if you throw out this pitch, and it bounces, they're going to boo you because <laughs> it's Yankee Stadium. You have to get the pitch across the ma- you know, pitch right, across right, the plate. Right. It's a phenomenal 20 minutes. It's totally nonpartisan. You, I think you can be someone who really disliked the George W. Bush presidency and still enjoy it. And while I was watching it, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, the point of baseball is not that it deeply entertains me for every waking second of a three-and-a-half-hour period. It's just like an anticipation does. of those once-in-a-while moments. Yeah, the, the baseball's just a different sport, and I just need to realize that. And so I would like to – this is the walk back. I'm walking back <laughs> my criticism of baseball for having yesterday just watched. Or is it the exception that proves the rule? Anyway, I, this is where I stay silent let Kristen take the Well, floor. but I will say the other thing is when watching it, I – I get a little weepy, which leads us yes. to our poll of the week. But before we get to the poll of the week, yes. this week's top lines. Okay. There's lots of new state polling in some hot battleground races. We will look at Indiana, Missouri, Tennessee to see whether these red states are going to send blue senators to Washington. Then we've got new national polls from Quinnipiac and CNN. They're telling a similar story about what voters think about President Trump. As his numbers take a beating, we will take a look if this is going to affect the midterms. 
then Nate Cohn and the folks at The Upshot, they are either lunatics or they are geniuses. <laughs> they have a new way of presenting polling data to the public. We will discuss. Then Margie's got some new polling about the NRA's brand being underwater. And we hope that the Carolinas will not be. If you are in harm's way, get out. Don't mess around. Riding out a hurricane and having a hurricane party is not that fun. Don't do it. Please leave. Yes. That's your pollster's public service announcement. <laughs> All right. What What's the poll of the week, Margie? So the poll of the week, which is basically us just pasting something that Ariel Edwards-Levy found, and we're going to do it once again, which is a poll from Gallup in 1951. And the question is, many doctors say it is good to have a good cry once in a while. Would you mind telling me, frankly, if anything has made you cry within the last 24 hours? And 17% said yes, has has cried. 83% said no. And Cameron, who is sitting here, pointed out that question was only asked of women. If you go to the full questionnaire, you'll see that men, everybody was asked, have you had a good laugh? But only women were asked, have you had a good cry? I know. That makes me, this ma- that makes me want to cry. In the words of the great Jeffrey Lebowski, <laughs> strong men also cry. I mean, this th- there's a lot to think. And also, wh- like, why do they feel they have to prime you with this, like, doctors say it's good to have a good cry. And what is a good... What is it? So, like, is that making you feel okay to say yes? I think it's, yeah. It's like when you say, you know, some people aren't able to make it out to the right, polls. Right, 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 right. How about you? How about you? <laughs> Do you th- I think it's totally that. It's as far as you know, <laughs> how many senators are there, right? You know, I'm just, you know, or haven't you had time to learn that, right? So, right. So, just like giving you some <laughs> kind of like setup, right? But what is a good cry? And so does that make me feel like this question is asking, have you like had a full ball or have you had anything that could be in the realm of crying? And a good cry sounds like a very specific kind of cry. Yeah. And any kind of like welling up, which you might say yes to this question, if you're thinking about doctors saying it's good to have a good cry. You're like, well, I didn't have a good cry. I just sort of like teared up at a commercial or I teared up at a... The episode of The Office where Jim and yes. Pam get married when it airs on your flight right. last and, week. Right. And I had teared just, up about like... Just an example. <laughs> something that like one of my clients had received from a voter and that was like made me tear up. And then I saw this like minutes later. I'm like, I did have a cry. Was it a good cry? I don't know. So now I don't know how I would answer that question. But then I'm also angry that this was also the only asked of women. So now I have a variety of feelings. Well, it was 1951. It was a different time. Yes, yeah, true. It was a different time. All right, let's talk about the states. We got three big state polls that have come out of Marist NBC. Uh, first, let's talk about Tennessee. Tennessee is a pretty red state, but they often send, they don't usually send super red state-esque members to the Senate. Bill Frist being somebody who is kind of a very conservative guy, but kind of moderate in temperament. Uh, Bob Corker, obviously a thorn in President Trump's side. Like Tennessee, Tennessee gets weird sometimes. Um, And in this race, despite being a very red state, uh, Marsha Blackburn is trailing uh, Phil Bredesen by uh, 48-44. Among likely voters, that tightens somewhat, which is interesting because I think this year the pattern has flipped. Like, in past elections, when you go from registered to likely voters, that has helped Republicans a little bit, but that has not been the case this year. Mm-hmm. In this poll, it's a little bit the case. 
Right. Um, but this is it's it's driven a lot by favorability. Um, right. Phil, but this is probably likely. I'm assuming. I, I don't know, but that likely is based on self-report rather than like vote history or some sort of true. other additional modeling. So that may be a little bit different than. So it's not to say that that's this is not an appropriate way to look at this, but that's a little bit different than we don't know how internal like polling, which will have a variety of like we'll have to ask scores. our good friend Chuck um, or Mark Murray, who's done a lot of the writing about this also past guest of the show. So favorability is playing a big role here in Tennessee where Phil Bredesen, he's a Democrat, but he's kind of viewed as a fairly moderate Democrat. Uh, some like business chamber of commerce type Republicans sort of think fondly of him and his favorability is at 61 percent, uh, only 22 percent unfavorable. Those are really good numbers for any politician these yeah. days. Marsha Blackburn sort of look more conventional, uh, 46% favorable, 36% unfavorable, 17% unsure. So very good favorability is keeping Phil Bredesen in a race that normally you wouldn't think of as being super gettable for Democrats in a, in a, in given how red the state of Tennessee is. But again, Tennessee's kind of an oddball when it comes to southern right, red states. Right, right. And then, you know, I mean, I think the broader pattern, so they released, Maris released a variety of polls, right? So they, in addition to Tennessee, they released Missouri that shows McCaskill and Hawley to be tied. And then they also uh, in, released a poll in Indiana that shows Donnelly over Braun, regardless of whether looking registered or likely. And you know, this is part of a larger story that's happening right now. You have obviously the the Texas Senate race, which is not part of this wave of polling, but there's been other public polling that we've talked about. And you have a lot of Republicans indicating that that race is tightened, that they're going to send support for Ted Cruz there. So, you know, the conventional wisdom had been for a while that the Senate was going to be much harder for Democrats and perhaps out of reach, given the map that you have a variety of Democrats running for re-election in Trump-held seats, in seats that Trump won, many of them by double digits. Yet the public polling suggests that these races where these Democrats are running in these Trump seats, are the Democrats have the advantage or, you know, or are tied. Um, the Tennessee seat is open. These other ones uh, are not, but where there are folks who have run in, you know, in this climate before. But but anyway, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. They think I think they show a consistent pattern across all these different states. The one uh, sort of polling uh, industry or polling methodology note I would add is, so in Indiana, um, they released the results in two different ways. They released a head-to-head contest between Joe Donnelly, who is a Democrat and he's the incumbent, uh, and Mike Braun, who is the Republican challenger. Uh, and in both the registered voter and likely voter matchups, they showed Donnelly ahead by six. However, it is not a two-way race. It's a three-way race. There's a libertarian candidate, Lucy Brenton. And when you add the libertarian candidate to the mix, normally you kind of think of that as hurting the Republican more than the Democrat. But that is not the case here. When you add the libertarian to the mix, suddenly what was a six-point race becomes a three-point race. Right. And so Luke, uh, pardon me, Logan Dobson uh, at the NRSC was sort of a little hair on fire at Twitter uh, or on Twitter about like, hey, guys, <laughs> when you're doing a ballot test, like at this stage of the game, do a ballot test that includes all of right. the people that are going to be on the ballot. You may think it's unrealistic that the libertarian candidate gets 8 percent and that's fine. But you any ballot test that doesn't include them at all is not going to be an accurate reflection of what happens on Election Day. Yes, because 
you know, nerd alert, your question wording should match how people will view the ballot. So if you are going to a state, and I, I don't know how they ask how they ask this and uh, if they have the ballot labels included the way it is in the state of Indiana or in California where you get to put a label next to your name of what, you know, what your how you want to be you know, labeled in addition to your party. Um, other states have different ways of doing it, right? There, there are some races, not Senate, but there are other races where they don't have party on the on the ballot at all. Special elections sometimes have different rules and general elections, et cetera, et cetera. There are a variety of different rules. And it's the job of whoever is doing the poll to make sure that your ballot test looks like how it will look for voters when they go and vote. Now, if you are testing messages or profiles about the candidates, that is your opportunity to say, well, this person will not be able to communicate as much as these other people. So the information I give for the major party candidates is going to be longer than the information I give for the libertarian candidates, because that is going to mirror their communications budgets. That's totally reasonable um, way to do it. But in the initial ballot, I think it does make sense to do it. Now, it is also useful to have two ways for other reasons. And sometimes people have both. Anyway, we're now kind of getting in the weeds a little bit. But I think that is a perfectly good flag. So now let's take a look more macro level, national political environment. We had two big national polls drop this week, Quinnipiac and CNN, both rolling out uh, national numbers that specifically look at how people are viewing President Trump. And both Quinnipiac and CNN find a similar uh, set of findings, which is that the president's job approval has dropped a, a fair amount. Considering how stable it has been for the most part all along, uh, it's not just these two polls. Um, other polls have come out as well. You've had, I believe, five or six major national polls in the last week that show a drop where the president is no longer likely to be, you know, Mr. 40 percent. That as of right now in the CNN poll, uh, his job approval is 36 percent. I believe Quinnipiac's is, is in similar territory. And it's showing the president having slipped on some sort of personal characteristics as well. So, for instance, the question of would you say that Donald Trump is intelligent or not? Um, in Quinnipiac's polling, uh, you now have only 51 percent saying yes, which that's a majority of Americans, I would just point out. But that's it's lower than 57 percent, which is the last time they asked it. Right now, CNN has asked, can Donald Trump bring about needed change? Uh, President Trump's fallen five points on that metric. He's fallen six points on does he care about people like you? He's fallen four points on is he honest and trustworthy? He's fallen six points on proud to have as president and five points on will unite the country. You now see about a third of Americans giving him positive marks on those questions, which is that's a that's a, a small but not insignificant decline. Right. So the you know, the question, I mean, if you look at CNN's tracking of their own numbers, so it's not the overall the overall trend is a little bit more smoothed out. If you look at sort of everybody's the aggregate of everybody's, you know, all the different outlets, it still shows a decline in Trump's approval rating. He's now at 41 percent. His disapproval rating is almost 54 percent. It's a little bit of a softening. And the CNN poll just comparing their own numbers shows a quite a much more dramatic change um, from where it's been. I don't want to overstate it because there's sort of a little bit of like playing around with the scales here in their chart. But where he was over 40 in the last poll, now he's at 36 approval. His disapproval is at 58. Now, is this, you know, a 
Bob Woodward effect? Is this a, you know, I anonymous effect? Is like what what is it something else specific? You know, is there something else that's going on? Um, or is it both those things combined? I mean, it seems like I mean, this poll, the CNN poll was taken the first week of September. So it was in the middle of all of this stuff. Yeah. I, so I got asked this yesterday on CNN, <clears throat> um, Poppy Harlow. I did a segment. It was it was fun. It was my first time doing a segment with my good friend, Doug High. They had two like two Republicans on the same segment, um, which was fun. <laughs> <clears throat> we weren't there to carry sort of the red banner, but rather to talk about what do we think is going to happen to Republicans in the midterms. But nonetheless, she asked me, do you think this is the Woodward effect? And I kind of pushed back on it because I said, look, from my perspective, I'm not sure what I've seen in the Woodward book that's super different than what we saw in Fire and right. Fury. Um, maybe there's something or I've missed, unhinged. right? Like or th- or anything, two, or or Twitter for that matter. Yes, the, I think that it is more likely that it is what we have talked about on the show for a while, which is that Democratic candidates are now putting lots of dollars behind ads on the airwaves that are talking about things like healthcare. And now, if we're shifting into talking about those sorts of issues, and that's more of what people are seeing on TV, that's a tougher world for Republicans. Like Donald Trump sustained decent numbers through Stormy Daniels and Manafort this and Mike Flynn plea deal and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm unconvinced that like the last two weeks of that same stuff happening again is what has done this. I think that it is as we're moving into the midterms, more ads are getting put on TV and these ads are creating an environment that is leaning less favorable to Republicans, and it is pulling down all of the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I, well, we'll find out, right? We'll see. And because uh, it, it, it certainly seemed like a very bad week, but obviously, you're right. The president's had lots of other bad weeks where people have been talking about how chaotic it is in the White House. This is not a new story; it's just a new platform or a new vehicle for telling the same story. And is there just like an increasing drumbeat of news around this, or is it, you know? the same drumbeat. Um, it's just closer to the election. I mean, the other thing that, you know, I- I've said just based on experience from past waves that you there was a sense that things started to break really late, you know, that things started to happen and snowball a- after Labor Day because you have a lot of people on the air. You have more people paying attention. You have the news coverage kind of following the, the groove of, of where things are and, mu- and much diff- more difficult to kind of shift that, turn that battleship. Is, is that part of what's happening? Very, very possibly, very possibly. So it's, it's, not, uh, it's not looking as good for Republicans as it was six months ago when the president's job approval was ticking upwards. It was getting into the almost to the mid-40s and the generic ballot. We were seeing polls come out with single-digit generic ballot leads for Democrats. And Republicans were like, oh, maybe this will be OK. That's not where we're at anymore. We're going we're, – we're regressing – Right, back now, to scary land. Well, right, because now we're talking about the Senate, too, which is also different, right? That's just at the top of the show and some of these Senate races looking, you know. Yeah, because the different. Senate has always been the potential bright spot for Republicans all along the way. And, you know, if if we are at risk of losing Tennessee, if we're at risk of losing Arizona, if we're at risk of losing in – if we're at the risk of losing red seats – we got to pick up a lot of blue seats um, to really capitalize. And, and if you've got polls like what we're seeing in, in the, at least those NBC Marist polls do not suggest that a big uh, red wave is going to hit the Senate side. But that could all change. That could all change. Yep. Who knows? Uh, but I, I think at least national political environment, that's that's a very big boat to turn around. And right now it's not pointed in a good direction for Republicans. 
Well, on that note, let's take a break and hear from some sponsors. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay, so we're back, and we want to talk a little bit about this experiment that Nate Cohn, also past guest of the show, has been doing at the Upshot. Lots of people have tagged this for us. Lots of people. There were a couple of people who have tagged this for us and said, good use of polling or bad use of polling, which is the 538 hook. So that's like a little bit of a like circular little reference point, like asking the pollsters if the upshots thing is a good use of polling using 538's catchphrase. I found that all very entertaining. Anyway, so um, but they have been doing this in- incredible you know, data visualization in addition to data experiment and transparency initiative, I guess, where they are really, you know, showing the live calls in a visual way where they're calling, who they're getting completes from, what their data looks like as it's rolling in, what the advantage, the D versus R margin is as the data comes in, which changes as they get completes from different parts of the districts. And they're doing a variety of different battleground house races. And it is fascinating. And lots of people have been just staring at it when watching the data roll in. <laughs> I don't know if you have found yourself doing that. I have not found myself doing it. I think it is great, but I have I have other... I have other data I'm supposed to be watching roll in, so I have not made time to also watch the upshot data roll in, but I do find it a very fascinating exercise. What do you think? I think it's fascinating. I think I lean toward being a little more critical of it. I feel like the 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 public opinion within pollster Twitter like swung wildly on this. Like <laughs> just cons- like the margin itself. <laughs> when the idea was like, hey, here's this thing we're doing tonight, the initial reaction was like this is ridiculous, stupid madness. And then like it started and people were like, oh, but I can't stop watching it. And then it became like, no, actually, this is good for transparency, right? Right. People always think that polls are being cooked up, made up and what have you. And this is like, it is showing the sausage getting made, right? So Alex Lundry had a really good point. He's at Deep Root Analytics, uh, former analytics guy for the Romney campaigns. His point was, like, if you as a pollster want to learn more about what your your surveys are like, like, just listen to us, like, listen in on the live yeah. interviews and you will learn so much about good questionnaire design. And so. Right. The- and I think that was Natalie Jackson who said you should go visit or or maybe it was Emily Guskin. One of the one of the various vampire ladies out there said go visit a phone bank in person. That's the other kind of way to see this. Although I, I believe that certain phone banks that I work with actually allow people to kind of telework. Like it, they still like have, have a Katie station, Katie computer assisted telephone interviewing yes. uh, Katie station. Like you can have it at your house so that like somebody who is like a mom who works from home can still, you know, bank a couple interviews right. here and there. So I don't know, but yes, I, all of these things, if I, if I had the time to go visit a call, but center, maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't actually now that I I don't know. Um, but I, I I think listening in on the calls yeah. is very valuable. And 
So what this is doing is it's showing as each interview is completed what the person's response is. Right. So And their demographics. And their demographics mm-hmm. and things. So you can watch in real time as individual, you know, that 24-year-old white male moderate in Dave Bratt's district saying, I'm voting for Dave Bratt. And then all of a sudden they get 15 young people saying, I'm voting for Dave Bratt. And their crosstab looks all like, right. oh, wow, I guess you found the selfie vote, didn't you? But like they right. have the data is not complete yet. And so this is my my criticism of it is that I'm generally a believer that transparency is good, but not without consequences. And I think the consequences here are the point of a poll is you don't want to focus in too much on any one individual respondent. Mm-hmm. Remember the L.A. Times poll last yeah. cycle where everybody was focused on like the one 19-year-old African-American Trump supporter where every time he was included in the sample, like would, Trump would get a whole extra point on the yeah, ballot test. Because like, he was up, weighted up to... He was weighted up so much. Yeah. I, I think if you care about individual level data, that's that's good but I don't think of a poll as the vehicle for obtaining that data, I guess. Or I, 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 look, look, at, at the numbers get less noisy as the sample gets more and more complete. Right. So if the numbers you get at N of 500 are so sign- much better, and we can visually see how much better they are than the numbers at N of 50, why are you putting the N of 50 numbers out in the universe? And I guess, like, as a as an explanatory, like, here is how polling works right. exercise, that's good. But I worry that in this, like, we're in the midst of a midterm. Everybody's, like, hanging on a thread. What is What do these races look like? Like, I just, I feel like, don't we have enough evidence that people do not handle polling data <laughs> responsibly? And it's like, it's like well, someone already yes. is, like, being irresponsible using sparklers on the 4th of July and now you're just <laughs> handing them like a box of Roman candles and are like please be responsible I, well, I don't know. so Nate Cohn has a different job than we do right so Nate so you know the job that we have when we poll congressional districts is to you know make sure that we're doing all these things and then provide our client with something that we feel is our best you know estimate and is a our, our best representative uh, take on the district and public opinion in the district at the time. And also, by the way, we should note, goes beyond simply the head-to-head, but there's a lot of other stuff too, right? So you tell a little bit more of a story. These polls, I think, are focused more on the head-to-head, but th- but that's okay. You know, I mean, that's, you know, the job of what this effort is trying to do is to say, you know, here's what data collection looks like. If you are not in the job of being a data collector, you want to know more about how this works, and you are not a client where you are actually going out and buying survey work and, and uh, procuring research, and you're, you don't work in a calling house, so you want to learn more about how it works and how I think some people, I think one of the lessons of this is how difficult it is to get completes, how many calls are necessary in order to get completes. I think that's been one of the lessons for people watching this, like how, you know, the number of like completes just slowly ticks. It's not just sort of rolling in, you know, like you do a thousand phone calls, boom, like you got a thousand clock or whatever. <laughs> like it's it's you know it's something that takes it just takes a little while because you got to get people to, on the phone who say sure I, I'll do this. So um, so I think that's one of the lessons of, of this, and uh, in addition to the demographic breakout and such too. Um, so, but what it, what it, what do people do with having learned this? Do they have a newfound appreciation for? 
pollsters and polling and the challenges that we face? Or, as I saw some people say on Twitter, do they now demand this from everybody? Like, I saw somebody like, every pollster should release all their no, real-time no, data no, to everyone. No, no, no. <laughs> See, and, like, and not because why? I don't like transparency. It's because... What would you want a restaurant to bring out your meal half made? Like, no, wait till it's done baking. This is my also well, you're buying a early... service for somebody, too. Like, so you're somebody we have, you know, you have clients who are asking for a service and product. And so you, you don't want to say like, OK, well, but Twitter demands I release this in real time to everyone. No, Sorry, guys. So, like, I mean, you know, there's also like my I mean, early exit polls anxiety on steroids. Like, let let the work be finished and then judge the quality of the work. Um, my business partner, Patrick, he tweeted out like, no clients, you're not getting partial. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, no. but, so I do worry, like, oh, I, I don't want this to become a norm where suddenly clients are like, oh, yeah, you no. did a night of dialing. I, I How did it go? Partials. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't get that. Because people are, not, again, this is the like, People yeah. aren't responsible. The They're partials not responsible thing. dealing with They'll be like, oh, we had you did 50 interviews last night, and it shows that I'm down 50 with women. So I need to change my strategy right now because we got a woman problem. And yeah. like, okay, you might, but can we please do the other 450 interviews? Yeah, Thanks. yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a, I mean, asking for partials for folks who are casual listeners of the pollsters is when you, you know, like the people who are reading the upshot are like, I would like to know the answer right now. And you call your pollster, your friendly neighborhood pollster and say, hey, how was dialing last night? And your friendly neighborhood pollster would say, it went pretty well. Thanks. How are you doing? <laughs> then, you can, then they'll say, uh, do you have any numbers for me? And you say, no, we don't give out partials. Sorry, we don't give out partials. We have to wait till all the data comes together and we take a look at it. And, you know, we look at it every night and, you know, we'll, we'll let's set up a call for when the numbers are done um, when the calling's complete. But it is a common kind of, you know, dance that clients and pollsters do where they routinely would like partials, part of it just out of curiosity. Sometimes you need to make decisions quickly and you want to like be prepared for what that would be. And sometimes it's just because you want to know the answer. One quick thing, as I was I was scrolling through Twitter to try to find fun uh, tweets about this, but instead what I found was a Stephen Shepard tweet from five minutes ago, and I just want to send like a message out to him because he seems like he's having a rough day. I think he's probably been staying up all night watching Hurricane Florence tracking data, but he's he's been tweeting a lot about pollsters, speaking of releasing incomplete data, yeah. have been releasing polls that have like the governor's race, but not the Senate race or something in different states. And so he just tweeted the la it's it's tweeting about a Florida Chamber of Commerce poll that gives the numbers on the Gillum DeSantis race, but doesn't give numbers on the Rick Scott Bill Nelson race. And he says, lack of Senate numbers in this news release almost made me check my laptop across the room in frustration. I mean, Stephen, we stand with you. I don't know. That's <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it's the state, Just calm down. It's just state Chamber of Commerce. Have a good cry. They may not have. Yes. <laughs> Doctors say it might be good for you. Now, um, I mean, if you're the state, if you're a state organization, you your priority may be the governor's race and not the Senate race. In whatever state, I don't know whatever this, I'm not speaking to whatever this release is. And, you know, maybe you don't have time for, to <laughs> ask the Senate ballot. You got your own stuff you want to test. I just, as I opened up Twitter in my browser, oh, in my browser, feels like it's 2009, uh, I just noticed that. I wanted to send a little little shout a out little, to a, a little virtual a hug. committed friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, so we have, we did a little memo, just moving on to a different topic. We won't spend too much time on this. Somebody in my office said, 
wanted to extract a promise for me to not r- volunteer for any more writing projects before the end of the year. And I said, okay, after the next two, I promise. <laughs> and so this, and that <laughs> those two were after this one. So there's a memo that we released, and it looks in some past navigator polling and also a variety of other public polling um, on guns that shows that the NRA continues to be uh, net unfavorable in the sort of post-Parkland climate. It's not just the navigator polling. You see the same trend in Gallup and NBC Wall Street Journal and The Economist and YouGov. We did some cool charts and then like a designer made them even cooler. So there's some cool stuff from our memo, which is online and has gotten some coverage. And that is even at the same time, like, you know, obviously there's been, there was an interest in coverage in the NRA and guns more broadly right after Parkland. That's receded. You know, you can see that just in terms of observation or if you look up sort of Google searches. But despite that, the NRA's numbers continue to be net unfavorable. And I've talked about this on the show that it's it's that piece as much, if not more, than some of the views toward gun laws themselves that I think have has shown a real lasting change. And does, is that change how people view the issue of guns headed into the election, especially since you see the Advertise, there's more advertising from Democratic candidates around guns than from Republican candidates in that same Wesleyan media analysis data that we reference all the time now because it's just so useful. So you can see that trend there. Does that trend hold up as we move from primary season into general election season? So the last thing we want to cover in today's show is talk a little bit about hurricane season. We've got uh, Hurricane Florence again bearing down on the Carolinas. And so we wanted to look back at polling about how people respond to hurricanes. Um, There was some polling that was done last year uh, in the state of Florida, um, co-sponsored by a whole variety of different folks, including uh, International Hurricane Research Center at FIU, uh, National Emergency Management Association, uh, Hurricane Survival Initiative. Uh, there, you know, there are a whole bunch of different groups that were involved in this poll. And they were asking people about their responses to Hurricane Irma. That was the big hurricane that just walloped the keys last year and then kind of made its way all the way up the state. I think Irma actually did some of its worst damage in Jacksonville and like the part of the state that did not get hit by the eye of the storm Mm -hmm. coming in at the beginning, but it was like all of the water getting pushed into the St. John's River, which is why Florence is so dangerous because you have so many different ways that water can get pushed inland in in Mm -hmm. scary fashion. Um, People generally felt like they were pretty well prepared in advance for things like pet supplies, medicine, cash, uh, batteries, backup. One thing people felt like they were not super well prepared in advance for, but you can kind of understand why, ice. (laughs) Can't really like stock up on tons of ice, I guess. Uh, Water supply was another thing that I think people said that they, you know, 59% said they felt prepared in advance. Um, 24% said they were unprepared entirely for window protection. It was the sort of thing where people either felt like, yeah, I was ready way in advance or I wasn't ready at all. It wasn't only 16% of people said they made a last minute purchase on that front. If you were evacuated during Hurricane Irma, how much did it cost you? Uh, 40% said it cost over $500. People forget, like, if you don't have a couch to crash on further inland, right. this can be expensive. Yep. Have you ever lived within an evacuation zone and received recommendations to evacuate? 40% of Floridians said yes. Among those who said yes, did you stay through the storm despite recommendations to evacuate? 58% say yes. So most people <laughs> wow. ignore 
But there are there are mandatory evacuation zones, right. and then there are like we think it would probably be a good idea evacuation zones. And I can understand someone in a we think it would be a good idea if maybe kind of you left situation staying. Because people feel like, oh, I can be in my house and therefore I can try to control things. Like if a I window will breaks, the storm with I my bare hands. The <laughs> if the window breaks, I'll be there to like tarp it up or, you know, then if, and if the storm moves, then I won't be like locked out of my house forever. But d- you, you can't fight the storm with your hands. If you are if you're in a mandatory evacuation zone, I don't even need to dwell on this. Get out. Um, but if you are in a voluntary situation, I recommend doing it just because, A, if the situation is worse than anticipated, you don't want to be the one that's standing on the roof of your house, like waving for the helicopter, yeah. like, oops, my bad. You that The potential for that outcome is so terrible. Don't put yourself in that situation. Um, when people were asked, therefore, have you ever decided not to evacuate uh, due to any of the following reasons? Traffic or belief that the storm wouldn't be that bad mm-hmm. um, or cost of hotels and gas were top of the list. Yeah, um, the traffic, I think, look, I mean, the traffic, like sitting in traffic and evacuating with everybody else on the major arteries, that looks like a very, that looks like an equally unpleasant option to fighting the storm with your hands at, at your at Well, your and there house. have been instances, I forget, was it Hurricane Rita? It was one of the hurricanes that hit the Houston area where it was actually the evacuation that was more deadly than the storm itself because in Houston, the uh, – in Houston, they have – like the, the highways are the vehicle for getting water out of the town. And so people were stuck in cars when the storm kind of hit and right. – so that's why Harvey's evacuation system, yeah. they did differently to avoid yeah. that, that risk. Yeah. Um, but that's why if you have if you have the financial means and the luxury of doing so, like get out early, do your fellow citizens a favor, get yourself off the roads if you have that luxury. Yeah. So, I mean, tons more. These are like, this is a really extensive uh, set of top lines. Highly, highly encouraged. <laughs> yeah, if you're interested in this sort of thing, check it out. But really, if you're in harm's way, evacuate. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't feel prepared. I, I don't feel prepared, yet I also – like, we had flooding in our basement on Friday at, when that bad, like, sort of flash flood came through Washington. So I feel, like, a little vulnerable and also not well prepared. But also I'm like, well, we are in the middle of it now. So, you know, so it's um, – I don't say there's a good time to flood, but, like, we're already kind of, like, in the – you know, in flood mine where he ripped up the carpets and all those things that you do in your basement floods. So um, – but it is, you know, it is a – unifying experience of having some flood flooding in your house, worrying about storms, checking your drains, all that stuff, stocking up on pizza. Those are, you know, the ice. I don't feel like the ice is like a, a top priority. I mean, I guess people just want it when they like invite their neighbors over. I <laughs> They feel like they haven't. Like, no, so ice is good. Why do you need the ice so badly? This is like Florida girl talking. Okay. Ice is good because if your power goes out, okay, you can, it can keep stuff in your fridge cold. Um, yeah. It's kind of the same reason why right, you're supposed right. to like fill your bathtub. Yes, it's, I've done that. I filled the bathtub before because if if utilities go out, like that's the thing people don't they think. Oh, I'll just stay in my house and I'll be fine because the roof's probably not going to get torn off. What you haven't thought of is that the power is likely to be out at your house for a long time. Wouldn't you rather be at a relatively inexpensive like Motel Six? Like a couple, you know, miles inland right. where – Then with like rotting salami in your house or whatever. Yeah, just, just yeah. don't, don't I just do assume that, that people wanted that for like 
margaritas or whatever just to like weather well, I mean, out the that storm. Too, but yeah. I, I think like, it's that's it's <laughs> more of a like food <laughs> preservation. All right, situation. fair enough, fair enough. Okay, all right. So key findings: if you want to pretend you are a handicapper, a pollster, or a super pack, there are tons of public polling out there for you right now. But if you were in charge of giving public polling to the president, you might want to stay anonymous for a little bit longer and stay dry out there, folks. Cuddle up, batten down the hatches, and listen to the pollsters. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at K. Soltis Anderson at www.thepolsters.com or find us on Facebook. Thanks. Bye.